Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Welcome everybody. This is the new episode of our Work Life Hub podcast. And uh, before we kick off our show with uh, today's guest, Erin um, Albert, you can, of course, listen to our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud and also on our website and on our blog. So there's a lot of places where you can connect and leave comments and tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And so don't hesitate to share your thoughts via Twitter or our uh, email address info at worklifehub.eu. So coming to today's guest, it's Erin uh, Albert joining me via Skype from Indianapolis. Erin has uh, come up with a very interesting concept that we're going to explore in just a minute, which is about uh, multipatients. And I would like to just say that Erin is a pharmacist. She's an entrepreneur, a writer, an attorney, and associate professor, the director of continuing education and founding executive editor of BU Well at Butler University College of Pharmacy. So without going more into detail at all the different things you do, uh, welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you, Agnes. It's great to be here. So can you just explain a little bit? Because you, in your book, you write, you, you penned, uh, you coined your definition of, of multipassional, which is a noun, and it says one who has multiple career gigs paid or unpaid at the same time. A person with simultaneous portfolio of career gigs, projects, and passions. So go a little bit more into detail for us. What, what do you mean and how did you come about looking at this phenomena? Sure. So, you know, when people ask me where this idea of multipatients came from, I always hearken back to having a conversation and being introduced to one of the, the multipatients that actually wound up in this book. And as I met her and I was kind of talking to her about what she did professionally, she kept pulling out multiple business cards for mm -hmm. herself. And I was really struck by that because not only were these businesses kind of seemingly random at first, but at the end when she, you know, pulled out her seventh business card, she kind of tied it all back together and that the commonality was herself as her brand. But it really struck me that the most clever, the most creative, the most interesting professionals in my network, both inside my professions as well as outside of my professions, are these multipatients. They're these professionals that have so many different things going on kind of simultaneously. And there's a lot of reasons I kind of unearthed through this writing journey that led these multipatients to having this type of portfolio career path. I found it very interesting in your book that you describe, um, and, and it was a revelation for me when you, dis, uh, when you interviewed all these different multipatients, that they recognize that some of the jobs they're doing and they consider it as work is not necessarily for money, but for their social capital. And that there seems to be a reinforcement of their different um, careers, their different gigs, uh, 
reinforces another. There's a very clever sentence from one of the interviewees where he says, all the energy I put in one of my jobs will also reinforce my other jobs. That was very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other individuals in the book said, you know, when I asked her the question, you know, let's say you're adding on your seventh job, for example, or you have your seventh opportunity coming your way, how would you discern um, how you would take that on? And then would you need to be paid in financial capital, social capital, or both? And she said something really interesting about the fact that she thinks social capital and financial capital do a dance together. And I thought that was a really elegant way of stating that, you know, social capital is is just as valuable in this day and age as money in the bank, right? So mm, yes. social capital and financial capital, the multipatients view both as extremely valuable. And, you know, one of the other multipatients in the book as well said that he thought he needed to build his social capital long before he ever decided to do his own entrepreneurial thing on the side. The multipatients really firmly believe in the value of both social as well as financial capital. And if they're adding on another gig or a project, it's not just about the money in the bank to them. It's also about can the social capital that I'm building from this experience bleed into other things that I'm already doing and, you know, increase kind of or lift all boats, if you will, if it, you know, one thing will feed into another. Um, I joke as well, there's another multipational in the book uh, and she's no job left behind in that <laughs> she seems to constantly carry her jobs previously forward with her and even take them into new jobs and experiences. And for her, it's about playing this little connectivity game with all her former jobs as well as her current job and then trying to figure out how the people in each of those environments and the social capital all kind of fit together. Yeah, because the recent changes and the different forces on the labor market and in the economy. So we went from working 30 years in the same company to then almost job hopping where you had to, where you felt that you had to change every two, three years or four years. And, and people may feel the pressure that if I don't change, then something's wrong with me and people will not appreciate my CV if I stay too long. And and I think that then you have to always reinvent yourself and get back your network, your confidence. And that takes also a couple of years. So I can totally understand and relate that you just want to carry all that energy with you throughout your different jobs. Because there is this um, common thread, which is you and your expertise. And just as you said, uh, your brand. Exactly. We have um, spoken in the last couple of um podcasts with Monique Valkour and also Ayelet Barron about finding your passion and a lot of job crafting where people now make up their own jobs or, or search for their own opportunities. And there's one sentence in your book when you actually describe your own um, experiment. Um, these are your words, not mine. <laughs> when you say, despite what the best bosses say, however, they might not understand this inherent need to grow and develop one's career. And I thought this is such a, you know, you put it so eloquently, this issue, this almost a conflict between 
going into your job and then becoming better and better at your job and extending more and more your network, but it's almost not in the interest of the company itself that you do that. Yeah, it's a kind of a confounding um, conundrum, if you will, because on one hand, your boss hired you because you're awesome, right? Mm. They want you to do amazing work for the company and the organization. That's why they hired you. On the other hand, there's this constant conflict that, you know, at one point in your career, you're probably going to outgrow your job. So then the conversation in some cases becomes kind of awkward as to, well, maybe you actually have to leave the organization in order to grow and develop professionally. So I think multipatialism is actually a very interesting answer to that conflict in that you can add on other gigs and still, you know, possibly keep your day job. Of course, if you didn't sign things like non-compete agreements and, you know, you're working with other competitors of your day job. But I think it's an answer to the, you know, age-old question of corporate America or the corporation is going to take care of me in terms of my career development. And we all know that that's not the case. Hmm. So it's incumbent upon all of us as individuals to grow and develop our careers. And one way we can do that while keeping our day job is to develop maybe outside of the day job. Maybe that means starting our own business on the side. Maybe that means taking on other career opportunities that you know, maybe aren't going to be paid at a full-time level, but they certainly could supplement your income, grow your own professional development, and, you know, keep your boss happy kind of all at the same time. And then I thought very interesting um, when, you, uh, when you take the reader through your own career development, how you negotiated this for yourself, that you, you had a great opportunity, but then you, you really negotiated that you could keep the different opportunities going on at the same time. Would you like to share this? Can you take us through how, how this went and, and what made you think, well, actually, I don't have to make any trade-offs here. I can maybe negotiate to have to. I think this takes a lot of courage. Yeah, and it's a lot of awkward conversations, too, to have mm-hmm. a you know, conversation with your current boss about adding on another employer, but still staying with your current employer. It's kind of out of the box. But actually, in pharmacy practice and in pharmacy academia, where I teach you know, in my full-time job, I work with colleagues, for the most part, that are site-based faculty. So that means that they are pharmacists that work at hospitals or institutions. Mm-hmm. But they are full-time employees of the university. So they're technically professors, just like me. So that's the norm. I mean, most faculty do that. They, they have um, essentially two managers, but they work for the institution, for the academic institution. So it's common in academia to have that set up. So if you work in an environment where they're used to that, Um, I think that's a much easier conversation than if you work in, for example, corporate America, where you have one employer and, you know, you're just going to an office every day and the expectation is you'll show up at the employer every day, if that makes sense. How do you manage and and how did you find in the interviews, how do uh, the other multipationals manage their time and managing these different um, responsibilities or expectations of them. How is this um, going? 
they manage their calendars rapidly. And by rapidly, I mean they're very um, cognizant of time because time is really the one thing we never get back. And, uh, you know, having that conversation with all the multipatientals about how they, they spend their time, it's very judicious. They are um, very passionate about ensuring that their calendars are up to date and um, that they are, you know, um, making the most of their time. And um, you also list um, at the end of the book some of the um, your conclusions, the common traits of all the multipatientals. And you put it on number one, they say they are having fun. So this is something yeah. they want to do. Yeah, you know, I think some of them almost need to do it. Um, there is one multipatiental in the book who calls himself a, a recovering multipatiental <laughs> in that <laughs> he has three little ones at home. And so for him, he's down ramping off of the multipatiental lifestyle a bit because he wants to spend more time with his family, which I totally understand. But on the flip side, you know, you talk to these multipatientals, and I, as I said earlier, a lot of them never really even applied for any of the gigs that they've received. They just kind of came to them and they just said yes to them. So I think, you know, to some of them, if not all of them, it's about having fun. And if it's not fun anymore, then that's maybe the time that they need to move on to something else. Mm. And how did you select the uh, people that you interviewed? You know, it was a series of conversations about this concept of multipatientalism. And anytime, this is my ninth book, actually. And anytime I write a book, it's it's kind of interesting how the universe delivers to me what it is that I'm looking for. So mm -hmm. when I was having conversations with my network, you know, one of the questions was, do you know anyone that has five or more jobs? And It's interesting because a lot of these folks are very prominent and a lot of people know them because they've got rich, vast, very disparate or um, kind of different networks. So the same names mm. keep popping up. And that's a hint, I guess, for me from the universe that I need to talk to them about it. Mm. And they were open to sharing all these different uh, um, life experiences with you? Yeah, they actually are. Um, they've been very receptive to it. And I think they realize that it helps having those conversations about different career paths that um, will help others discover their own career passions. Uh, when I was um, uh, reading a lot about social capital, it was very interesting to read that there's um, bonding social capital and bridging social capital. So If you know a lot of people who are just like you with very similar profiles, you have very strong bonding social capital. But if you know people from different walks of lives and different eras and different um, social cultural backgrounds, then you have very good bridging social capital. And, and that is actually what is going to really enrich your life. And I think that's what also comes across from the interviews because they're doing also quite different things. So they do, would do teaching and then some art or some radio and some writing and quite a few of them also lecture that, that they must be in a very rich network of meeting very, very different people. And, and I think that is something that must be really opening you to different realities and different opportunities. Yeah, and the other interesting commonality among all of them was that they were all laid yeah. off from at least one job in their past. And I really thought that was mm. intriguing, myself included. And 
Um, I think once you get laid off, and I certainly wouldn't recommend people go out and, you know, try to get laid off just to have that experience. But I think that experience of being let go from a, a day job fundamentally changes how one views work. And I, you know, I, I don't want to go to causation and correlation here, but I definitely think being laid off really changed part of the way that they thought about their working and their career lives in, in a good way, I think. It doesn't feel good when you're being laid off. But in retrospect, I think it's a lesson that, you know, again, you should not put all your career eggs in one basket anymore. I think that's a very dangerous prospect in this day and age. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I have been through it myself. And I think you also then realize that it's just crazy giving all the control over your life to one employer and and you want to have more control and you want to also have more um, this navigation control of your career of your life of your network um, to make sure that that you know you you have safeguards and you have backups um, but I, I also recognize in that in many of the interviewees it's also almost like a lifestyle Mm-hmm. You, know, you you almost kind of get hooked on doing these different things because you feel how enriching it is. And and the the notion of flexibility is yeah. almost getting to the point where it, it it translates to financial capital in that some people are willing to give up some financial capital in order to gain flexibility in their lives. Yes. Now, um, you mentioned a little bit, you talk in the book about um, some of these important forces that are shaping the world of work and why um, some people then react this way, that they craft their own multiple careers. Would you mind telling us a little bit what are these forces that you're observing? Well, I think the biggest one was the most recent economic downturn, right, where people Mm. were left go in thousands. I mean, we experienced this horrific downturn in the economy in about 2007 here in the United States. And, you know, big businesses closed their doors overnight. And I think a lot of people really had that as an unfortunate wake-up call in the sense that, you know, if I go to college and I graduate, I will be taken care of by an employer for 30 years. I'll get all my benefits. I'll get paid. They'll develop my career for me. And after 30 years, I'll retire and get the gold watch. (laughs) And that kind of all went out the window in this last economic downturn to the point where I think people had to really stop and think, you know, maybe there's more than one way to manage my career. And maybe it shouldn't be up to my boss as to what it is that I want to do in terms of career development. Maybe it's on me. And maybe that means having a series of more complex conversations with potential employers about you know, hey, can I be a contractor here? Could I work part-time? Do I have to work full-time? Could I job share? Could I, you know, work full-time one week and then have the next week off? I mean, there's a much richer conversation and much deeper conversation that potential employees are having with employers post-economic downturn that in the past it was, you know, we're hiring you, you're all in full-time or not. And, you know, in 30 years, you'll get to retire. It's just become way more complicated than that. And I think way more complicated in a good way in that you have conversations that you can 
maybe craft and style and put together your best career, you know, portfolio without necessarily, again, putting all your career eggs in one basket and then feeding your soul in other ways, like we mentioned before, flexibility, building your social capital as well as your, your financial capital. Do you have any plans for some future books or where are you going to take this forward from here? Well, I think the world begs for more. Yeah, <laughs> so I always view my books as the start of conversations. It's never the end of conversations. So I welcome and always want to hear from readers about other multipatients out there in this case, you know, people that are doing and rocking all these multiple career gigs and how they're, you know, cobbling is probably a negative term, but how they're crafting and putting together their best career portfolio and how they make those decisions, I think is fascinating. So I always welcome more conversations around that. Relative to my own writing and publishing, I'm also in my next book doing a, a second children's book and a series of children's books on engaging girls in science, technology, engineering, and math careers. So um, mm. That's been a lot of fun too. You know, I'm a first generation college graduate for my family and I'm in a STEM career being a pharmacist myself. And so after reading a lot of really bad statistics on girls not being engaged in science, technology, engineering, and math, I wanted to give back. So one way that I'm doing that is writing a children's book series. That's great because I just recently read somewhere that um, if you ask um a five or six year old to draw a scientist, they would, you know, just draw anybody, man, woman, in any kind of uh, way they think a scientist is. And but then when you ask 11, 12 year olds, it's usually a man with gray hair in a white uh, lab coat. So by then they really formatted into believing what is a scientist or who can become a scientist. So congratulations on this endeavor. I think it's very, very important. Well, thank you. Now, uh, the question, the last question we always ask to our um, podcast guests, and I'm going to ask you this, um, if you could give one advice to a CEO or business owner to improve the well-being of his or her employees or to allow them to craft their own careers or, or enrich their own career portfolio, as you say, what advice would you give? I think flexibility and freedom are probably the two words that come to mind that CEOs really need to be cognizant of because the best and brightest anymore are not going to settle for the nine to five, 30 year work uh, situation that we've had in the past. So, um, you know, if you've got an open-minded manager or a CEO of a company that's willing to kind of go out of the box with their employees, especially around career development, they will have the best, the richest talent moving forward. And you don't think that there's resistance that they think they would go, they would leave? I would lose my talented people if I allowed them to open some windows on their careers? You know, on one hand, maybe. Um, but that's, again, the counter argument to that is if you allow your best and brightest employees to go out on their own to do other things, they're going to be more satisfied in their day jobs or in their current gig, and they're going to bring more back to that corporation. 
So I think multipatientalism, if they can, as CEOs, embrace that for their best and brightest employees, they might actually retain them even longer. I think this is great advice and everybody should listen to you. Do you want to just remind people of your website and where they can reach you? Sure. All my books and my blog are on www.aaronalbert.com and and, uh, all my books as well are on amazon.com and um, you can go to either site and all my information is there. Thank you so much. We will also share this um, to our podcast listeners. We will put the link. We will make sure we put the link where they can get in touch with you. Well, thank you very much, Erin. I really enjoyed this discussion and I think that you're onto something very interesting and very important there. Thank you for your time and attention. I appreciate it.